0: Welcome to Revive Families Connecting Hearts with researcher, author, speaker, and coach Jeff Schott. Jeff is devoted to keeping the hearts of parents and kids connected. He developed Influential Parenting, a comprehensive program designed to help parents target the root of behavior issues rather than whacking away at the surface. Jeff also wrote the book Going, Going, Gone, which helps parents understand the reasons kids depart the faith. It gives parents the information they need to open conversations with their kids to prevent this outcome. Learn more about Revive Family, its resources and coaching for families at revivefamily.com. Welcome back to
1: Revive Family's Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family, and it's great to be back with you this week. In the midst of this unprecedented time in our country, in fact, in the world history, Parents are needing to deal with kids being at home more than ever. And when we have adolescence, that can present some challenges. Which is why I decided to do this series, Nine Insights Parents Need to Know When They're Raising Adolescence. Before we dive in, let me remind our listeners that adolescence starts a lot earlier than we might think. In fact, it starts... 18 months prior to puberty when the hormones that lead to puberty begin to flow, which can be as early as 8 or 9 for girls or 9 or 10 for boys. So if you've been noticing some changes in their behavior, if they've been forgetting things, if they've been questioning things, if they've been pushing back more than ever before, this series will give you some insights and help you understand what's going on. So whether you have a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old or a 16, 17, 18-year-old at home right now, this series is ideally suited for you. Where did these nine insights come from? They came from the fact that I spent time talking with over 4,000 students that were preteens and teens. And I can tell you this, the kids opened up, were brutally honest, and it was incredibly eye-opening, sometimes shocking, and oftentimes really challenging for me as a father. But as we begin this series, I'd like to stop and ask you some questions, and I'd like you to take a moment, if you can, to actually mentally log or write down your answers to these questions, because I've found that understanding what we're really thinking about adolescence really impacts how we approach it, how we interact with our kids, and that can either be positive or negative for the relationship between us and our adolescents. The questions I'm going to ask you all relate to adolescence, and I want you to think of it in a one-to-five scale, where one is strongly agree and five is strongly disagree. So you can write down a one, a two, a three, a four, or a five for each of these questions, ranging from one meaning strongly agree to five meaning strongly disagree. So here's the first statement for you to rank. Adolescence brains are not fully developed And will not be responsible. Do you strongly agree with that one? Or strongly disagree with it five? Or are you somewhere in the middle? Two, three, or four? Number two. Adolescents want to experiment. Number three. Adolescents will test our boundaries. Number four. Adolescents need to distance from their parents. Number five. Adolescents will turn to friends. Number six, adolescents require strong boundaries. Again, number one is strongly agree. Number five is disagree. Now reflect upon your answers and answer this. Have we come to believe that adolescence equals issues in society as well as in the church. I believe we have come to see adolescence as the time of problems, given that when adults see a group of kids walking down the side of the street, invariably their mind goes to, uh-oh, there might be trouble, not, wow, I bet you they're up to something amazing. And why this is so important for us as parents is if we view Adolescence in a negative light, it means that we have some trepidation, we have some fear as our kids approach adolescence, and we're going into it expecting negative things, which will influence how we communicate, how we interact, how we approach our kids. And I believe sometimes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is why I have to pose the question, What if our beliefs are wrong? What if all the things that we've heard about adolescence, what if all the things we've seen on social media about adolescence and some of the humorous things about adolescence actually aren't based upon fact, but they're based upon certain families' experience or even a majority of families' experience. But what if the problem isn't adolescence, but it's the way we come into it, the way we view it, the way we approach it, and the way we handle our kids during it? So if we've come to the conclusion that there's going to be problems during adolescence, that our kids can't be responsible, that they will experiment, that they will test boundaries, that they will turn away from us and to their friends, often the wrong friends, we have to stop and wrestle with is this a predetermined outcome, or is there something we can do to change it? And I believe there is things we can do to change it. Why do I believe that? Because Mary was 13 or 14 when she had Jesus and handled it very maturely. Back then, education wasn't as good. Nutrition wasn't as good. So to say that our kids should be less developed or less capable than Mary was, I think would be a wrong conclusion. Because even in colonial times, we see that George Washington was out surveying the land by himself when he was 13 years old and he handled it well. And if we step forwards in time to the founding of the Subway restaurant, Fred DeLuca opened his first Subway restaurant at the age of 17. Why is it over time we see examples of kids that handle Challenging things, new things, scary things really well and really responsibly, and then in other cases we don't see that. Is it genetics? I don't think so. I think it's the way they were viewed and the way they were approached by their parents. Given my research with 4,000 kids and finding that rare 1 in 15, 1 in 20 kid that did things amazingly well, made great decisions, was incredibly responsible, and every time I found a very different relationship at work between them and their parent. And one of the questions we really need to wrestle with as parents is, does the world have more influence than we do? You hear it all the time. It's the schools that take our kids away. It's the movies. It's the media. It's the social media. It's the video games. Everything else is taking our kids away from us. But if that's true, if we really believe the world has more influence than we do, then there's a problem because I can't see us out entertaining, out duping the world with all of its temptations unless. The truth is we've been granted far more influence in our kids' lives than the world has by God, but we've somehow been losing that influence, squandering that influence in our kids' lives, which is why these nine insights are going to be so important for parents to understand over the next two weeks. I've found that adolescents are actually yearning to be closer to their parents, which I know to that many parents are saying, no way. Why do they talk back? Why do they give one-word answers? Why do they hide in their rooms? Why do they react and get angry? Why do they push back? Why do they seem to be trying to push us out of their lives? I think that's a great question, and as we go through these nine insights, I think all of that will become crystal clear. My time interacting with families and coaching adolescents, here's some very short answers to those questions that we'll dig into more as we get into the remaining insights. Why do they talk back? What I've found is that often it results from strong internal negativity within the kid and or the reality of the adolescent brain, which we're going to talk about in an insight later. Internal negativity, once it piles up, can make someone incredibly sensitive. So when someone comes to them with something negative, it kicks off a strong sensitivity, which results in defensiveness, reactions, or even anger. I've worked with a bunch of these kids who are reacting, being defensive, pushing their parents away, but when I get them past that and start talking to them about what they desire... Deep inside, they want to be close to their parents. They're just confused. They don't know how to get there. As it pertains to one-word answers, what I've found is that the kids are often avoiding interaction because they don't want to be questioned, corrected, lectured, or fixed. So when we ask, how was your day? We get, good. How's it going with your friends? Fine. This is a way actually to protect themselves from getting into conversations where they might say something where the parent wants to teach them something, or question the type of friends they're hanging out with. The most common reason I get for hiding in their rooms is that they're afraid of themselves and afraid of conflict with their parents. They're not happy with themselves and how they're reacting. They don't understand why they're reacting the way they're reacting, and they're tired of the conflict just like the parents are. So if there's been even mild conflict, oftentimes kids will retreat during adolescence to their room. Yet, in spite of all of this, they have a deep yearning to be closer to their parents. They miss the closeness they once had with them. They're confused. They don't understand what changed in the relationship. And they have no clue how to fix it. I've found they often believe that it's entirely their fault and therefore there must be something wrong with them, which is a really negative place that we don't want our kids to end up in. They believe there's something wrong with them because they know what they're doing isn't right and they haven't been able to make themselves stop in spite of the conflict, in spite of consequences that parents might be giving. And so it gets really frustrating for them and they come to the conclusion, I must be messed up. There's something wrong with me because I can't do what I know I should do. And in this place, they're longing to feel their parents love, approval, and trust again, but they have no clue how to get there. And this is where rebellious kids can come from, depressed kids can come from, and even unmotivated kids come from because if they stay in this place that long, that there's something wrong with them, they're going to move towards depression or they're going to move towards rejecting that it's them and they'll get rebellious and angry because these intense feelings are going to work themselves out. Out of them somehow. Unfortunately, what I believe is that we're missing the changes that are happening in them. And as a result, we're not adjusting our approach in the way we need to, to avoid these beliefs being formed in our kids, which is where we're going to pick back up with insight number two when we return after a short break. Hey, parents out there, I hope you're finding our radio program, podcast, and blogs really helpful. You can find them all at revivefamily.com. Back in November, our board voted to make all our resources free, so all our blogs, all our podcasts, even our Influential Parenting Academy and Parent Support phone calls as you go through that program are all available to you for free because we want to short-circuit the breakdown in the parent-child relationship that we're seeing happen so much in our society today. So please go to revivefamily.com, sign up at the bottom of the page, and what you'll get is a weekly summary of the different resources that we release during that week. And if you create a login, you'll have access to a number of other resources, including our Influential Parenting Academy. Even though it's free, please don't believe that it's been compromised. It's not at all. It's every bit as robust as other things like love and logic and total transformation, but coming at it from a completely different angle. One that doesn't tie us up in battles around the consequences we're using to try and change our kids' behavior. We have a big God, and last I checked, it was the Holy Spirit that was in charge of sanctifying or changing our kids. So go to revivefamily.com today, go to products, click on Influential Parenting, and sign up today. It's free. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family, and we're continuing in the program, Nine Insights Parents Need to Know to Raise Adolescents. And we're picking up with insight number two. Which is, the adolescent brain offers insights, understanding, and direction. What I've found is that adolescents can create huge misunderstandings between parents and kids. When the hormones that lead to puberty begin to flow, it actually kicks off a development cycle in the brain. It's already reached its maximum size, but synapses start to get created between different areas of the brain in the back lobes of the brain. This is why all of a sudden kids lose their childlike faith, start to have doubts, start to have questions, start to question their parents. They're able to put new abstract thoughts together, which creates questions and doubt that we as parents have never seen before. As a result of all these synapses being created in the back lobes of the brain, the brain actually has to shift some electrical activity away from the front lobe of the brain to the back lobes of the brain to cause all this development to occur. As a result of the shift in the electrical activity, the activity level in the front lobes of the brain actually decrease. It doesn't totally disappear, but it decreases by a significant amount. And this is why it's so important to know this. In the front lobes of the brain are short-term memory, planning, emotional regulation, consequence evaluation. If you're going up to your child and saying, hey, would you take out the trash? And a few minutes later, you come back and say, did you take the trash out? And they say, no, I forgot. We can often interpret that as them dodging, being lazy, being manipulative, and we can get frustrated with them and upset at them, or understanding this, we may actually choose to believe them and go, wow, you forgot? Well, could you get it done now, please? Because we understand that they probably did forget it because the activity in the front lobe of the brain actually decreased. Maybe this is why they forgot to turn in their homework assignments as well. Another example is this whole emotional regulation. All of a sudden, they're saying things that they would have never said to us before because the emotional regulation is down. Those emotions are hitting them harder and things are bleeding out of their mouth that they would never have said before because consequence evaluation is also decreased. Which begs the question, does boundaries and consequences really work with adolescents? Because they're not going to consider the consequence before they do the action. This is the reason understanding the adolescent brain is so important and remembering it and maybe even being down the things that have dropped off in their brain so that when you see it, it doesn't frustrate you, it doesn't upset you, but you learn to handle it in a different manner. Because when we keep getting frustrated with their lack of memory, their lack of follow-through, some of the other things, the way they're talking to us, Oftentimes what we're doing is causing them to go lower, believing more and more that there's something wrong with them because they don't understand what's changed with them either. And it frustrates them, and they get down on themselves about it, and they think there's something wrong with them, which I see all the time when I do It's Your Life with public school students, especially around 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. Oftentimes I explain the adolescent brain and kids will actually say to me, you mean there's nothing wrong with me? This is normal? I wish my parents knew this. Which brings us to insight number three. 70 to 90% of Christian kids are leading dual lives beyond the age of 12 or 13. In fact, as we review all the data that's available out there on different behaviors that adolescents participate in, we estimate that there are 26.5 million adolescents exhibiting some form of escape behavior. What's escape behavior? Anything that they can retreat to to make themselves feel better, which can include social media, video games, YouTube and Netflix, or more serious things like early relationships, sex, marijuana, alcohol, those other types of escape behaviors. What's fascinating is parents get down on their kids for their cell phone use, but it's interesting. There's actually a study that shows that 70% of kids, adolescents, actually worry that they're spending too much time on their phone, They really are thinking and often are down on themselves. I want to come back to this insight that 70 to 90% of Christian kids are leading dual lives because if 26.5 million adolescents exhibit some form of escape behavior, that's somewhere north of 65 to 70%. And what we're finding when we go into Christian schools, when we go into churches, whether we're in the inner city, or we're in great small towns, or in fantastic suburbs of major cities like Scottsdale, Arizona, or Parker, Colorado, we're finding that the dual life is alive and well and way more prevalent than parents and even youth pastors think. In fact, fact, we did some stuff with the youth group of a megachurch called Cherry Hill, and the youth pastor believed only 35% of his kids were leading dual lives because they were in this fantastic suburb filled with middle-class, middle-upper-class to upper-class people outside of Denver in Parker, Colorado. And we went to do the Reboot Retreat, and the kids got really honest with everybody in the youth group, including the leaders and the parent volunteers. Yes, indeed, it was over 90% of the kids that were leading a dual life. And the church, the parents, and the youth pastor were stunned but they were more stunned by the response after the kids walked in the light from Reboot because their hearts came back to life. So parents, if you're thinking not my kid, please stop thinking that because it's not gonna serve you well in today's world. If you've got an eight, nine, or 10-year-old, you can prevent the outcome. If you've got a 12, 13, or 14-year-old, it's time to change your approach so your kids stop hiding things from you and start getting honest with you because it's the only way you're gonna have access to see God really transform their lives. And some parents might think to themselves, well, doesn't this dual life prove that the world has more influence? And that's not what we found when we were talking to 4,000 kids in the research. What we found was that kids were fearing parents' reactions, lectures, and or consequences. In fact, I've had parents tell me in my parent conferences that fear keeps my kids in line. Yet we see in Psalm 34:4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Fear is not a biblical motive. God says, Do fear nothing here, revere him. So instilling fear in our kids with the consequences we can lever on them may not be as biblical as we think. Given that consequence evaluation has diminished because of the front lobes of the brain, it's not literally as effective as we think as well. As a result of this fear, what we find is that kids learn by age seven or eight that it's safer or easier to hide things from mom and dad, which is the birthplace of the dual life. It starts with teeny little things that aren't a big deal, but we found it grows over time if we don't change our approach. In First 1 John 1, 1.7, it says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his Son cleanses us from all sin. What i found is when we instill fear of us and our consequences in our kids, they don't walk in the light with us. We're not having real fellowship. They're leading that dual life at some level. And then somehow that impacts the son's ability to cleanse them from their sin, probably because they're walking in darkness and lies. So we have to ask ourselves the question, does fear prevent bad behavior or cause it? In 1 John 4, 18, it says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. No, this goes so against so much of what we've been raised to believe, so much of what we've been taught in the parenting world, in the psychological world, with behavior therapists. We really think about it, would we be following God and seeking to see our lives changed if every time we had a wrong thought, said something wrong, did something wrong, we were punished by God? Or is it His love and His grace and His forgiveness, past, present, and future, that draws us closer and gives us the desire to want to change? I've seen this to be true with my kids. Kids desire to please their parents, but it's fragile and can easily become an act. Now, I'm coaching three different adolescents age 14 to age 17 who are so tired of acting. It's exhausting. It's led to them doubting themselves, getting negative about themselves. It's led to depression and anxiety in all three of them, acting to keep their parents happy, to not have conflict, to try and meet their expectations, even though they're leading horrendous dual lives behind the curtain of school and friends. I think we see how fragile this actually is when we look at Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Jesus says this, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And boy, did I see this in the research. And have I seen it in the coaching when I work with families with adolescents. The kids are doing and saying the right things to their parents' face, but how they really feel about their parents, what they really think and say about their parents when their parents aren't around is very different. They honor their parents with their lips, but their hearts are far from them. And I've found that when kids' hearts are far from their parents and their parents believe in God, the kids' hearts grow far from God as well. This is why it's so important for us to change our approach as our kids get older. Past about the age of three or four, we need to be making some significant changes as how we interact with, how we communicate with, and what we do to draw our kids out and create a safe place where they can walk in the light with us and frankly, not fear us. Yes, we may be able to get capitulation by ramping up consequences, but does it change their heart? Does it draw them closer or push them away? Which brings us to insight number four. Discipline does not mean what we think it means. In fact, last week, I was talking to a mom that called us after our radio program. We were having a great conversation about what she was struggling with with her five-year-old. And at one point in the conversation, she said, well, what about the verse? Spare the rod, spoil the child. And I kind of laughed. And she said, why are you laughing? I said, I once believed that was a verse as well. In fact, I put it in my book, Going, Going, Gone, about why kids were leaving the faith, leaving the church, couldn't find the verse reference for it. So I sent it to Nav Press, believing their editors would fill it in. And they contacted me back in 10 days asking, Jeff, we know this is a verse, but we can't find it. Can you please fill in the verse reference? At which point I brought in my search and discovered it was a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin's not noted as a parenting expert. He's noted as a scientist who worked with electricity. And we're going to continue this conversation about discipline and what it really means in next week's program. As we continue in this series, nine insights parents need to know to raise their adolescence. Sorry for the cliffhanger. I don't normally do this, but we're out of time. And so I look forward to being back with you next week with Revive Families Connecting
0: Hearts. Have a great week. That's it for this edition of Revive Families Connecting Hearts with Jeff Schott. We'll return again soon with another program designed to help you become a wiser, more effective, more influential parent. Jeff's website is revivefamily.com. Revive Families Connecting Hearts is produced in association with Faith Radio. Jeff Schott is a pastoral counselor and coach. He is not a licensed healthcare professional. What you've heard is not a substitute for seeking professional, medical, or psychological support.